This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There is more to the story than just postpartum depression. This podcast aims to share it all, from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to new parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, perinatal psychologist, Dr. Kat Kayeni. Lately, we've really been digging into how partners are affected and transformed by the transition into parenthood. And today, we have a father's perspective and experience. All the way from UK, Scott Mayer is joining us today, and he is going to share with us how he started in his journey of supporting fathers through new parenthood. It is really key that we are hearing from fathers who've had experience through really difficult times during the perinatal period, whether they themselves have experienced a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder, or they've witnessed something happening for their partner. Scott is on a mission, and he set up paternal mental health support to help educate parents and promote awareness of paternal mental health. He is a member of the Paternal Mental Health Alliance, a mental health campaigner, peer-to-peer leader trained, a team member of the Perinatal Training CIC, and qualified beyond birth mental well-being practitioner. You're going to hear some really key and informative points on how we can support fathers' transition into parenthood, as well as how our outdated views of fathers are really negatively impacting men in their transition into fatherhood, as well as possibly preventing them from getting the help that they deserve and need. So let's get into it and meet Scott. Welcome, Scott. Thank you so much for being with us. No, thanks for having me. Uh, So I've been following your Instagram and all of the work that you're doing and really excited to have you on here and share uh, the father's perspective and give us some insight on how we can all better support men's mental health during the perinatal period. So yeah, I would love to know how you got started in the line of work, so to speak. Yeah. So yeah, it's to be fair, I think what we hear from a lot of people that take the ones that I've come across, it's it's lived experience, it's personal experience. And I think that's why it's it's powerful when we talk to people about our own experiences, we get comfort from them. Um, a man that you know, um, Mark William, I heard him talk about father's mental health and the effects that it can have um, and the impact. And that helped me realize a little bit of what I had experienced. And uh-huh. we're only going back pretty much a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I had experienced mental ill health. 
I could maybe trace it in and around some very difficult times, difficult birth, and just parenting in general, you know, that sort of transition into parenting. But it was when my youngest was born um, two and a half years ago. It was a very, very traumatic delivery. Um, that is my seventh son. You know, I probably should have led with that. Um, <laughs> my wife and I, we, we have seven boys from, from 18 down to two. And out of all of them, um, we had one, what you classed, textbook straightforward delivery um, in and out mm. no problems mom mm. and baby home the same day you know in the other six we had quite a few complications but we had three very traumatic but the oh, two gosh. worst of the two worst were number six and seven so number six had, had been very very difficult and um, we'd gone in for a c-section tried an induction lots of complications my wife and baby were both touch and go at one point and we were told we couldn't have another one after numbers and while we were waiting to find out why and to go through the testing process which took over a year and a half we were pregnant with the next one so my sort of mental health my lowest point maybe started in that last pregnancy and it was the anxiety this is all going to happen again you know this fear that my wife's in danger again you know it was bad last time i was definitely going to lose her this time and the anxiety Mm. built but my focus was that we didn't know what the complications were. I had to make sure my wife was safe, you know, make mm-hmm. sure that this was a viable pregnancy, trying to get answers mm-hmm. and then trying to sort of have conversations with my wife whose priorities had changed. You know, she now had a baby to protect. And sure. that might sound very sexist, but from my point of view, I was trying to look at my wife maybe as the priority. Yes, there's a baby, but I have six other children. I need to make sure she's safe. Sure. She became sort of tunnel visioned in this is my baby. I have to protect it. We need to find out what we can do. So it was a very difficult pregnancy. I know that sounds a little bit selfish, but it was difficult from my point of view. There was a lot of anxiety. And then my son was delivered a little bit early because once we found out the complications from number six, they said that we had to deliver number seven sort of five, six weeks early. Oh, and so he ended up in the neonatal unit. He had a problem with his lungs, but, but my wife was okay. In the moment, I thought, right, okay. We've got through, we can deal with this together. I'll go and find out what's wrong with my son in the neonatal unit. And then I'll come back, see my wife, Sarah, and everything will be okay. And I went to neonatal unit, found out my son, was, he had what they called wet lung. It was a little bit underdeveloped and he wasn't able to breathe by himself. So he was in mm-hmm. an incubator. So I've then gone back upstairs to explain to my wife, this is the situation and found out she wasn't very well at all. Oh, gosh. And she deteriorated over the next three days. And, and my story sort of starts there, really. I've gone about it a very long way around, but it is relevant, I promise. <laughs> so for the next three days, pretty much, um, I was saying something wrong, you know, and, and Sarah was telling me she didn't feel very well. And I say this and people think I'm joking, but my wife, Sarah, is the sort of person that, you know, if she broke her leg, she would say, it's okay, I'll walk it off. She just... Like, for example, prime example, we've had a, a sickness bug, you know, restrictions and stuff have listed in the UK and my children are home educated. So we don't really overly mix and we didn't because of the last 18 months of restriction. We went to sort of a day out and yeah, sickness bug. So the whole family was sick, all my children, myself included. The only one that wasn't was, was Sarah, you know, she just, oh wow, I don't know. she's got, we actually Googled it. They actually say that best immune system in a species or an animal is an ostrich. So we nicknamed Sarah the ostrich, right? <laughs> she doesn't seem to get sick. No, nothing Often, really bothers her. Every, people will fall down. You know, she just she just gets on with it, you know. And mm. she's my wife is my hero. You know, mm. I, I tell everybody that. She's without a shadow of a doubt. But we've mm-hmm. been together since we were 16. So we've grew up, we grew up together. 
Um, so anyway, so I'm getting off point here. For three days, I said that there's something wrong. My wife's not well. She was saying she's not well, which is very unusual. They didn't really listen. And I didn't want her to be discharged. I said, please don't send her home because there's something wrong. They sent her home within 24 hours. She was rushed back in and, and it was oh. sepsis. Oh, my. And, and she actually had a few sort of hospital-acquired infections from a C-section and it led to sepsis. So she was really touching. And, and at one point, I said goodbye. Oh, my um, gosh. Standing sort of on the maternity ward and I apologized, you know, that I hadn't done more in that three days to keep her mm. alive. And then questioning myself that, you know, that this pregnancy that had concerned me, if we hadn't, mm. you know, she would, she'd be okay. So I've got all this going through my mind. I'm starting to think I've got six boys at home. I've got to go and tell them what I've got, including the baby, just, and say that mommy's not coming home, you know. And then I've got mm. the youngest one. When we have that conversation for the rest of his life, he's going to attribute his birth to his mother's death. No matter mm-hmm. how I dress mm-hmm. it up, he's going to carry it. So my mind is already gone. I'm already in survival right. mode, trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I said good, said, and I just dropped. You know, that was that was it. I yeah. say this quite a lot. Everybody has a breaking point. I believe that every human being has a breaking point. Mm-hmm. That was mine, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and the mistake that I made for a while was I knew that that was what had done it. I hadn't been able to articulate it into father's mental health and mm-hmm. how many fathers actually go through this and trauma i'm right. an ex-infantry soldier you know british army so mm-hmm. talking about ptsd and trauma mm-hmm. isn't conversations i thought i would be having around the birth of my child you know That's something sure. that so it was very difficult trying to understand what was going on and then i'm trained to deal with trauma why can't i cope with this so i was doubting myself i went through all sorts of different emotions and when i actually sat back and realized and i went through therapy and I spoke to my therapist and it was him that said, look, what you're looking for, yes, trauma, PTSD is normally witnessing or experiencing a life-threatening event, but mental health in general and your sort of tree or your skeleton of mental health is your whole life. Right. It's everything that's happened along the way. It's not mm-hmm. just that one instance. And that's what I was getting wrong. And I've been getting it wrong for quite a few years probably going back about six or seven years since I'd really first started experiencing depression. And that mm-hmm. was a tribute that, that linked up with all these very difficult births where my wife was in extreme danger. And then you sort of nosedived a little bit into a depression from an anxiety in the pregnancy to a depression yeah. at the other end. And I just noticed this cycle that just kept enough. So when I spoke to my therapist about it, and we were able to start, start patching it together, I thought, God, you know, I can't be the only one that's gone through this. And I don't, I don't claim to be Florence Nightingale. You know, I'm, I thought I've got to do, I've got to speak to someone. I've got to try and get this information out there. I went to my local hospital and said, look, we need antenatal classes for dads. Yes. But what you, what you need is you need that to come from a dad because we don't have that conversation. Dads mm-hmm. don't talk to dads about how to be dads very mm-hmm. rarely. Mm-hmm. And we're not comfortable with it and we don't have the platforms to do it. We need to create, we need to educate and we can tell it from a dad's point of view because it is different. And they agreed. And I said, we need to talk about mental health, but we need to talk about mental health openly and seriously Mm. in general. I think as a society around the world, we need to get better, but particularly in parenting. And that's why I always use the phrase realities of parenthood because parenting is bloody hard, man. It is. It is really, really hard. And we don't talk about it enough. And the hardest thing, that you could probably go through is becoming a parent for the first time because there's so much pressure 
to get everything right all of the time. There's external pressure, but there's internal pressure. For sure, yeah. So when I went to the hospital, and this is what I would like to create, a program where we talk about not just how to pack a bag, you know, have you planned the route to the hospital and do you know how to change a nappy? You know, we need to talk <laughs> about real parenting, the change in the relationship. And yes, selfishly, again, from a father's point of view, I fell down the pecking order in my life and I didn't like it at first. You know, I went from being my work, my wife, absolute priority. You know, like I said, we've been together since we were 16, first day of college, and we've been together over 23 <laughs> years this year. It was 23 years ago on Friday that we had our first kiss, right? So Aww. there you go. Yeah. Right? So Beautiful. we've yeah. been together for an awful long time. Um, there's a lot of history. And the thing that just kept coming back to me was that I wasn't being listened to because I was told I had to trust the experts. And I was trying to say that in this woman, I'm, I'm the expert. I'm the only expert there is. And we need to listen to that. And we need to start taking the role of the partner, not just the father, whoever that (laughs) partner is, has to be taken seriously because they're a fountain of knowledge that we don't use. Absolutely. And that they're also a big part of that child's development and we don't teach or educate or engage with. And that's what I wanted to create. So I set up an Instagram page and I started working with hospitals and charities in the UK, outside of the UK as well, but mainly in the UK, trying to educate on parent education, father's education, and trying to see the family as a unit rather than individualizing it all the time. For sure. So that Uh, was a long answer. That's that's who I am and why I do it. I love long answers. There's so many details, you know, if if you gave us the short answer, we wouldn't have the as much depth of understanding to why this is so important to you and to everybody else, why you have the passion for it. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. 
If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Which, you know, especially with, I think, father's mental health is what it takes is that passion and drive. Because, I mean, maybe you can speak to this. How hard was it for some, uh, for you to get anyone to listen to you uh, when you were trying to say, hey, we need these support groups for dads? Oh, it's very hard. Um, like I said, I'll mention this man quite a lot. There's two people I'll mention in this interview quite a lot. One will be my wife, Sarah, and the other one will be Mark Williams. And Mark Williams has been 11 years now campaigning for fathers. When he first started talking about it, there was a lot more resistance than we're getting now. In the UK, we're a lot further ahead than America. And mm-hmm. um, that has surprised me. If you'd asked me that before I started talking about mental health, parents, I would have thought that you would be so far ahead of us in America. So I, I have been shocked by some of the organizations and, and people that I've spoke to. So we here in the UK, yeah. we have, as part of the NHS and um, National Health Service, we've got a long-term plan. In that long-term plan, there's, there's a part in there that if the mother experiences what we call perinatal mental health, and so that's postnatal, postpartum, depression, anxiety, um, psychosis, OCD, and anything on the extreme end of mental health. Mm-hmm. They go through this designated professional team called the perinatal mental health. That's your extreme end. If you're not extreme enough, we don't really have a lot of support for either parent, really. But the perinatal mm-hmm. mental health teams are very good when needed. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife actually went through them after a very difficult birth where she had PTSD. Sure. And they were phenomenal. And they helped to sort of re-engage her to go back into the hospital for the next pregnancy. Um, because they treated my wife with postnatal depression for about two years and it, it didn't really improve. And then when we got pregnant with what would have been number five, then um, they realized it was actually trauma. It was PTSD because right. she couldn't go back into the hospital, couldn't even go for the scan. You know, so, she, so they'd take you on tours of the ward and get used to the smells and the sounds. And they were fantastic. They really, really did help. So with that team now, if you go through there, then they will start to screen the partner or the father at the moment. Oh, not fantastic. All partners. If the mum needs extreme support or professional support, the dad will be screened because obviously there's statistics that say that, for example, if mum has postnatal depression, then the partner is up to 50% more likely they will experience it too. Absolutely. So there's, right. the, there's a big knock-on effect. So they're starting yeah. to see that here. Yes, it's we're a little bit late to the party, but as they say, better late than never. So here and now, that that is put in place and they will try and engage and talk to the dad. I work with a couple of charities fairly local to where I am in the middle of England and they're now doing very similar. So I would do sort of peer support and almost like counselling to a degree so that there's phone calls, emails, Zoom chats, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, to, to support predominantly the father. I say father because I've never had, that's all I've ever dealt with is mother and father in mm-hmm. terms of the parenting and from my experience so that the fathers will come to me will do several sessions six eight ten sessions phone calls whatever it may be to offer support so the charities are starting to implement that and so are let's say the national health service so we are starting but like i said it's only if it's at the more extreme end and the other problem mm-hmm. that we we sort of faced is that sometimes yet again i will say mom and dad in my experience mom is okay mm-hmm. dad's not but mom right. is absolutely fine. If right. mom is absolutely fine and dad isn't, there's no support. So that's where we've got a bit of a... And quite often, because it's the same, obviously it's the same birth, it's the same baby, it's the same day, but the experience is very different. Yeah, right. And what can massively affect 
the mother doesn't always affect the partner and vice mm-hmm. versa. You know, like for example, mm-hmm. the biggest problem with my mental health and the trauma that affected me is from a different birth to the one that affected my wife, you know, but we were both sure. there. Right. You know, right. So it, it affects different. And that's where I think the system is, is trying to fill the gaps, but there's obviously there's flaws, but you could be overly critical. You know, it's, it's very easy to sit there and yeah, right. sort of point fingers. They're trying, you know, they're mm-hmm. trying, mm-hmm. but COVID has just highlighted the need for it. Oh my gosh. In so many ways, absolutely has. Hey there, the pregnancy workbook is totally available for any and all folks who are feeling anxious about pregnancy, anxious in pregnancy, or in the postpartum period. This workbook is really full of ways for you to learn how to support yourself, manage anxiety, use mindfulness techniques to be more present, and navigate the many changes that pregnancy and becoming a new parent brings. There's even a little section in there for your partners. This workbook is available at Target.com and Amazon.com. I highly suggest that you check it out and see if any of those skills and tools work for you. Any additional tools or skills that you can use during this really crazy time in our lives during this pandemic can be helpful to you, support your pregnancy, and support your transition into parenthood. I really hope you love the pregnancy workbook. Yeah, I'm I'm also curious, how do you, I hope this comes out right when I ask it, but in my experience, it's a little bit hard to sometimes to engage fathers in the conversation about their own mental health, because I, I assume the way most men have been socialized uh, to not need it or say they're fine or all this. How do you get men to see that this is important to talk about? Good question. Big question. Yeah, it's probably the question I do get asked the most. There's a real myth, and yet again, you probably could say stigma, but definitely a myth, and and it's it's wrong Mm -hmm. when they say that men don't talk, particularly when it comes to emotions and feelings. In and around, yes, mental health and early years parenting, people say that men don't engage, dads don't share. They're just never really asked. That's the problem. Nobody ever really asks. And when they do, they really don't want the answer. What we face around the world and what we definitely are starting to correct a little bit in the UK with the plans that we have in place, like I just mentioned, is if you've got a new dad, right, or an expectant dad, I know we're mentioning men, but this is just for example's sake, right, that is is struggling, struggling with his mental health during the pregnancy or struggling postnatally. And you have a professional that says, they will ask or they will engage and say, are you okay? Are you No, I'm really not okay. I'm struggling, you know, I'm very anxious. I think I've got depression. I'm, I'm on the edge. W- whatever it is that he then presents, because it does happen when you get to that point and the first time somebody asks, you do just open up. You can't troll it sometimes because <laughs> you're waiting for somebody to ask. Right. So all of a sudden you get all this information. That's great. The dad's opened up. He needs support. Where do I send him? What do I do with him now that he's told me this? This is now my problem. And this is not me criticizing professionals or midwives. Sure. Because I don't think it's their fault. But sometimes you can almost forgive the fact that they don't ask that question because they can't handle the answer. Uh And society has that problem with men in general. Society is not equipped to deal with the fact that men have changed. And what a man is, what we think a man is, and the role of a father most definitely in the last 20 years has changed. In fact, the role of a father since COVID has changed because right. the role's different because we're home more now. Things have changed completely. Right. And society hasn't kept up with that change. So what happens is they look at a man, 
and what a man should be. And this is very stereotypical and not everybody does this, but society in general, definitely. Yeah. And you have this toxic masculinity that is based on an old model. You know, and I used to say this, I don't say it anymore because he passed away, but this is based on Sean Connery. You know, this, this is, you know, something that that's what a man should be stiff, upper lip, you know, don't talk about emotions, don't talk about feelings. And yeah. we have, we've tried to evolve from that, but in certain aspects we haven't. And one of them is dealing with emotions, talking about feelings and showing weakness rather than strength. That is what we, we are struggling to accept the fact that men do feel, men do have emotions, men do find times hard, men do need support, men do need love, real men do cry, you know, all these things. So the easiest way to do it is that we have to start this at a very young age. Yes. You know, I say that because I do that in my house. I don't claim to be father of the year. I'm not even close because what I've learned from doing it a lot of time is I've learned from the mistakes that I've probably made with my, mm-hmm. uh, my older children. And I for try sure. and correct it. I think that's pretty much what parenting is. I think you get it wrong and then you try not to get it wrong again. If you get through the day and you get it right more than you get it wrong, you've done all right. But if you get through the day and you've got it wrong more than you've got it right, that's okay too. You know, There is no right or wrong way. I don't think there's just the way that works for you to get you and your family through each particular day. Sure. I think that's how, how we should parent. That's my honest opinion. But in terms of men, I speak to my boys and I hear all the time, men shouldn't do this. Men shouldn't. Show. I'm not supposed to feel a certain way because I'm a man. You know, right. and I do try and correct that and talk about emotions and feelings and the younger children yeah. grasp it they mm-hmm. really do my, my younger boys grasp it and we have conversations that society would tell me my boys don't have and they do we've just got to create a world where it's okay for them to be like that it's okay Absolutely. to talk about it you know it's okay to tell your mate that you love him why not what's wrong with that right you know and like I said before you know I come from a very masculine environment you know in sure. the army yeah yep and probably the the mates that I'll put a kiss on the end of my text message or the one that I'll say I love you bro are the guys from the army you know <laughs> so people would say mm-hmm. that we don't do that we do you know we care about each other very very deeply we just don't always feel comfortable to show it mm-hmm. but by like you said having that conversation asking the question and taking the answer and accepting that yeah okay it's okay to show vulnerability but the best way to do it and, and we're starting to see it a little bit more and unfortunately we always wait for celebrities to make things cool you know that's right. what we do i think we're all guilty of that so there is particularly in this country you know we've had tyson fury who's our heavyweight boxer he came out and he talked and he wrote a book and told stories about his mental health and the problems that he's had you know and he was the biggest baddest man on the planet you know right so it made it easier to have that conversation and all of a sudden social media news outlets papers were starting to talk a little bit more about mental health and then there'd be another couple of celebrities and, and they would so it has sort of filtered through because social media is very powerful you know, and particularly sure. in the younger generation so the yeah. more they hear this message the more they will have that conversation but men are a lot more open to talk about this sort of stuff they just very rarely get asked and when you create a safe environment and you put them in that environment whether it's a male-led environment or whether it's not but when they feel it's okay to show that sort of vulnerable side, not all men and not all of the time. What happens is that we can't say that all men want to talk about their feelings because they don't. But what we have done for too long is say that all men don't want to, and that's not fair either. Absolutely. Oh, you are. You have so many great nuggets of just wisdom and information that I really hope that men who are listening and also 
wives that women who are listening or, or partners who are listening can hear this as well, because, you know, uh, women in a sense have also been, have been part of the socialization of men in the sense that, you know, we might make assumptions about how they're doing and, and add to them not talking about their feelings. So I think it's important for everyone to hear across the board, all of these realities of modern uh, fatherhood and the realities of being a man in this uh, day and time. I think the problem we've got, and I think it's the same in, in the US, I'm sure it is, but we look at mothers, for example, right? And I think there's so much pressure. I say this to my wife mm-hmm. all the time, right? There is so much, there's pressure on parents in general, all yeah. parents, every yeah. parent. But for some reason on mothers, there is so much pressure from, from the minute you find out you're pregnant. Yeah. How you should do this. And then right down to how your body should look, how right. you should feed, how you should sleep how you should dress, why you should still be wearing makeup, should you be going back to work. <laughs> everybody has an opinion. And I say this all the time, right? Yeah. I, everybody has an opinion. That is right. I just wish they didn't think they always had to share it. That's the <laughs> right. bit that annoys me. It's okay to have it, but you don't uh, always have to tell, right? Everybody right? will tell a mother what they're doing. This is how you should do this. this is how you, and everybody's judgment. And there's so much pressure for them right. to, this, this sort of perfect parent, which get it out of the way right now doesn't exist there's no such thing right yeah i do believe this is the most intrusive period of time of a woman's life oh they hold you to oh you're so you're held accountable for every decision you make and uh, there's so much pressure and then the sort of the other end of the scale is that you're just it's just assumed as a father that you won't do certain things it's just assumed that you won't want to be involved or that you can't do these things and we're always it's Lots of people have coined it dad bashing and all these sort of things, but I think it's it's equal on both sides. But we are quite quick to point out what a mother is doing wrong or what she should be doing, or this is how you should do it, or this is what you should mm-hmm. look like. And then this is what you're doing wrong as a right. father because you don't do this. But we never really have the conversations to tell the dad how they can do it, how they can be more engaged. Like, for example, mm-hmm. breastfeeding. I'll mm-hmm. use that, right? Because my wife breastfed all of our boys. and when my first was born 18 years ago, I asked the professionals, how can I help? Well, you can't, you know, you can't. Mm-hmm. Mom feeds baby. Okay, well, what can I do? Nothing. Right. Brilliant. Yeah. Thanks. Right. That's very helpful. Right? <laughs> right, right. So then my own mentality changed a little bit. And I thought, right, I can feed mom. If I'm feeding mom, mom's feeding baby. By proxy, I'm involved. Even if I'm just trying to convince myself, I still feel that I'm doing something. So yeah. We call it bad goodies in my house, right? So it's cakes, <laughs> chocolate, you know, right? So I would go out and get the bad goodies shop and make sure there's lots <laughs> of nice snacks and make sure she's got thing, nice things to drink and eat when she's feeding. And if she's feeding at nighttime, I'll stay awake so that she's not on her own. I know that sounds silly, right? But no, doesn't. someone to talk to. I'll change the nappies. I'll have a cuddle with a baby, whatever it may be. But just, I don't want to just be asleep. And sometimes I would sleep for her and she wouldn't wake me up because she'd dream feed. So I wouldn't even hear mm-hmm. the baby. Mm-hmm. But all the, as much as I could, I'd, st- I'd try and be there. And I thought, right, okay. And then I thought, right, I can get her comfortable so I can get the, the breastfeeding cushion. I can make sure she's got the remote, con- remote control so she's comfy and get a blanket. I can have a cuddle. And then when she's finished, I can take baby wind so he falls asleep on me. Then she gets a bit of a break. So she's not doing it all on her own. And right. I thought, right, okay. So, so I learned that sort of as I went along. Yeah. So when I started talking to the professionals and saying that this is how 
and we talk about it more in this country now there is a bit of a drive behind behind supporting breastfeeding again and i sort of sit there and we, we just don't see if you don't tell someone they don't know what they don't know right exactly so don't say my husband and this is not me criticizing right because i don't know everybody's husband mm-hmm. but my husband doesn't help my husband doesn't do this right okay but if somebody maybe told him what he could do maybe he might mm-hmm. you know and and or my he doesn't do enough with the baby okay well let's trace it back to what he was told at antenatal education and maybe how he's been brought up i don't know right but sure right what we what, what we get told is support mum. okay i'll support mum. so then health visitors, nurses, or whatever it might be, district nurses will come around or friends or family and they'll say, right, okay, who's doing nighttime feeds? Who's doing this? Well, I'm doing it. Okay, well, what's he doing? Um, well, he doesn't really do much with the baby. So then everybody sort of criticizes and they'll say, hang on. And I have actually heard this mm-hmm. and I get this from the dads that I talk to still and I've experienced it with my first. Hang on, you told me to support them. That's what mm-hmm. I'm doing. You know, I'm doing the, the whatever it is, you know, and I'm, doing as much i'm doing all the housework all the shopping i'm going to work i'm doing the laundry i'm trying to make sure she's comfortable i'm cooking all the meals i'm looking after if there's other children or whatever it may be i'm trying to look after mom so that mom can look after the baby that's what you told me to do Mm. and now you're telling me that i'm not looking after the baby enough and i know it sounds simple (laughs) and some people will shake their head but you tell someone to do something and then we punish them for doing it right and sometimes you've got to sit there and think hang on a minute because when I do the, the antenatal classes, um, when I speak to these dads, and you do very small conversations, for example, oh, well, you know, I, um, I work long hours, I haven't, I haven't got time to do this, or I haven't, which is the problem that we all have, right? Mm-hmm. Or I haven't got a long time to spend with the baby or in, or in the evening, or my, my little toddler, you know, I haven't got a couple of hours to spend time on in the evening or whatever it might be. And you don't need massive amounts of time you know if you get down on the floor at floor level with your toddler eye to eye and you engage and you play with building blocks or you read a story or you make a mess or you play in the sand or you do painting whatever it is 10-15 minutes of proper engagement mm-hmm. between the two of you there'll be so much benefit for both of you right. that's better than you just being in the room checking your emails or maybe playing on the floor for two hours yeah you know you just we need to maximize our time as parents which is very difficult but we don't have these conversations you know and even mm-hmm, with, with our, our friends our peers our family you know we i think everybody in society everybody that has ever had a child has a is duty bound to help educate the next generation of parents mm-hmm. what real parenting looks like mm-hmm. you know, stop all this nonsense about how easy we find it <laughs> and how and how we love it every minute of the day and our children uh, never annoy us you know let's forget that because that's not true that's not, you know and, yeah. and i i say this all the time and one day i might get pulled up on it and somebody might prove me wrong but i don't think so if you find parenting easy all of the time you're doing it wrong <laughs> correct i'll, I'll, absolutely I'll go to swear by that statement. with you for that one yes yeah because i'll stand by is, you it is, it's absolutely difficult but in in the same way I've gone off topic here, but I'm, I'm on my soapbox. I'll keep going, right? For sure. I love and, a good soapbox. Right. So when, what we also seem to do, and I did this wrong for a very long time, and I, I try to correct it. I still get it wrong some days. But when we're with our children, for example, I used to think that as a father, I had to portray strength, even more so coming from a military background. Mm-hmm. This 
Captain America, nothing bothers me, I'm strong. <laughs> and and it's, it annoys me. I cringe at myself, mm. you know, because, and some people don't agree with me. I know they don't because I've had this conversation twice in the last couple of months. Mm. My parenting mentality changed. My relationship with my children changed when I let that guard down. Mm-hmm. So when I showed my vulnerability and said, hang on a minute, you know, yes, I am these things. Yes, I am your dad. Yes, I still struggle. I mm-hmm. still have bad days. I still have days. I don't want to be an adult. I don't want to mm-hmm. play anymore. I mm-hmm. want to go and hide in the wardrobe. You know, mm-hmm. I have those days. You know, I have times in every day where you think, I need to hit reset. I need to go in the garden. I need to listen to music. I need to do something because this is difficult, especially homeschooling. Right. Um, and which a lot of people have done in the last couple of years, which they never thought they ever would. <laughs> and so there's, there's a lot of pressures, a lot of things. It's very, very difficult. You can love your children and need a break from them at the same time. It doesn't make you a bad parent. And it doesn't make you a bad parent to find parenting hard. It makes you a real honest one because we all find it hard. So when yep. I did that with my children, I noticed a change. And the only way that I've been able to explain it, we demand honesty from our children. Mm-hmm. we demand it we want to know why they haven't got the grades they've got they want to know why they stayed out late we want to know if they're struggling if they've got if they're body conscious we ask them questions you want to check their phone or their internet whatever it might be right mm-hmm. we ask them to be honest i'm your parent you have to tell me right okay we demand it we don't give it back yep. we never we never really as a society as as parents we don't show that Mm-hmm. in the same and I think that my opinion people will bash me for this I know they will right in my opinion I think that's hypocritical yeah I, agree. I think you can't you can't expect it and not give it so when I started to see the difference and I thought hang on I'm not saying my relationship was ever bad with my boys because I, I don't think it was I'd be lying mm-hmm. but I definitely seen a change in how they could talk to me and what they talked to me about Absolutely. Because you're, you're, you're modeling that it's all okay for them to be honest with you. And with that, when they upset me, and sometimes I snap at them, and I'll, I'll ground them for 100 years or so that I'm going to take <laughs> their, their, their Xbox is gone until they're 50. You know, we, we've all <laughs> overreacted and punished, right? Mm. I try not to punish until I've calmed down, but you can't always do that. So I then go to them and I'll apologize and say that daddy was wrong. Mm. Had a bad day. I'm stressed. I'm sorry. You know, yep. and they'll say, oh, it's okay, dad. And I say, no, it's not, you know, because okay, what I was yes. angry at wasn't you. I wasn't angry at you, but you got the brunt of it. Mm-hmm. They understand that, but it goes both ways. So for example, if I say, right, you're not allowed out to play because you've been not, and they stamp their feet and they get angry, we punish that. And that's wrong because mm-hmm. that emotion isn't wrong. Correct, They're allowed right. to be angry. They are yeah. absolutely entitled to be angry. Mm-hmm. It's how they present it. Right. That we have yep. to. So if we can explain the difference, uh, yep. this younger generation already understand mental well-being far better than we did. Mm-hmm. And that's all we oh, really want. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so I'm, know I'm the over difference here between emotions yep. and feelings. They know the difference because at the moment, if you just punished the fact that they're angry, then mm-hmm. they think that anger is bad. And in certain mm-hmm. instances, it is. But all your emotions are healthy. It's how you present yeah. them that isn't. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm over here nodding my head. Yes, yes. I have these same conversations in my home. It's okay to be mad, but we're we're not going to throw things or, you know, that kind of thing. Like you, you can, let's talk about different ways to express your anger, but like we can't break stuff. But it's hard. I mean, it, it is, is hard it because is. You, you still have, and I've said it, 
and I know it's wrong. And yet again, people will disagree with me. And and when I say to my children, well, you know, I'm the adult, so I'm big, you're small, you listen to me, a bit like Matilda, right? And uh, so I'm the adult, you're in the wrong. You know, I, I still, that still comes out sometimes. And it's while you're living under my roof, you know, you will do this, or this is my house, you will do what I say. And lots of people will say that that's sort of correct, that that's right, but it's not. This is our house. Oh, sure. It's not my house. It's where my family lives. You know, it's our house. You know, me, me and the mum might pay for it, but it's our house. And I still sometimes say that, or why are you living under my, you know, and it's, sure, they didn't ask to be out. born. Yeah. You know, they didn't ask to be born. So sometimes, and then it's, you don't realise how lucky you are. Well, no, but that's your fault because you mm-hmm. gave it all to me. You've gave me, you know, you don't realise how many kids would love those trainers or that jacket or to have an Xbox and an iPad and an iPhone. You've got no idea how lucky you are. Mm-hmm. No, I probably don't because this is how my life has been because this is what yeah. you gave me. Right. So you mm-hmm. can't give it to them and then punish them for having it. And <laughs> but I, but, but I yeah. still do do that. You know, I still say, you've got no idea. What, why won't you eat that? The, the children that would love that dinner. I still do it myself mm-hmm. sometimes. But it's just, if you catch it, like sometimes my boys will, will, will say something and, and I'll, I'll react and I'll go away or they'll ask me a question and I think I maybe was a little bit rude. And an hour later, I'll go back and say, look, I'm really sorry. No, I wasn't listening. Or, or they'll be on the phone and, for example, oh, dad, 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 look at this. And I'll say, yeah, yeah, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. But I'm not even looking. <laughs> you know, I'm too busy sending my email. And then you catch, you look up and their little sad face as they walk <laughs> up and you feel dreadful. And yeah. it's just these things we can't help. You know, yeah. This is life. It happens. It's not all straightforward. We can't give our children all of our attention all of the time. It's impossible. Right. right. But it's okay to talk about it. And I think that's a bit that we thought where we make the most mistakes. But I say that because I made those mistakes for such a long time. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with we all do. And uh, ideally, or we're learning from it and learning that it's okay. And, and as you're saying, to, to model for our children what we want them to learn and uh, what we want them to internalize. Our voice becomes their voice, uh, internalized voice at some at some point. And so we want that to be a kind and and the compassionate one when possible. But, you know, we are also human. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast 
for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. So uh, with, with all of this, this like a lot of the realities of parenting that I'm so grateful that you're, you're bringing in here today, and specifically from a father's perspective, what kind of tips are you giving to new parents? I mean, you've given us a lot of gems today, for sure. Are there additional of, things that you're giving to brand new parents? Yeah, I normally sort of have two or three tips. My, my number one tip never changes. Um, everybody I ever speak to when it comes to parenting and it is be the parent that you want to be not the one society tells you to be and people sometimes look at me some people understand what I mean most people probably do but it's very easy to get caught up in what everybody else does and yet again it's a bit of a cautionary tale having my elder children being a military man I conducted myself a certain way maybe in public that I was not always the same at home and that's exhausting, you know, or I would make decisions based on what I thought people thought I should do as a, as a dad. I used to wear a baby sling 18 years ago, which wasn't cool back then, right? All right. And I would walk around in bloody uniform um, or whatever I was doing. I'd go around, say, one of the supermarkets and people would sort of look and point and say, who's this guy I think he is? And I'm not joking. That's what it was mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. So I stopped doing it and I only wore it around the house. Mm. Because yeah. it just got too uncomfortable. Or I'd take my baby out for a walk in the pram and everybody would stop me and say how wonderful it was that you were taking your baby out. But my wife could walk 100 miles and no one about an island. I got a right. little bit uncomfortable sometimes trying to be this hands-on parent that I knew I wanted. So I try and tell parents to do that. You know, you have a, an inner voice as a parent. Very rarely wrong. Um, but we listen to what everybody else tells us, particularly our close friends and family. And it's difficult with our family. So the second point is to drown out the noise a little bit which is very hard to do very easy to say everybody like I said will have an opinion on how you should parent and the advice I give to parents is try your hardest and I wish that we could give this to parents but we we don't do it is Mm -hmm. get the all the information for parenting all the different things research as much as you can speak to as many people as you want to and then put it together and pick what works right but if you try something that doesn't work, it doesn't work. It doesn't matter if it works for Suzanne next door. Who cares? Right, exactly. Try something else. You know, try, it, it doesn't matter. There's no one size. There's no this. I want to know who came up with the right way because they were wrong because there's no such thing as the right way. There's, there's just not. the way that works for you. And what we seem to do a lot with parents is we talk about the early years. It's, it's a very big topic over here. We maybe do this, we've got the first 1,001 days, which is the next thing that we'll talk about. So we normally will give advice up to four or five, and then they do nursery reception and, and they go into school. And then we stop. 
And I don't know why, because parenting <laughs> starts at four or five. You know, we, we focus so much on having a baby and it, it's difficult. Don't get me wrong. The, the transition, I talk about it, it's, it's, it's the most difficult thing you'll do. I've never been more tired in my life than I was with a newborn baby. Right. You sort of go around in that fog all the time. It is really difficult. But the child itself, that's the easy point there. Mm -hmm. It's when they start talking back and smearing poop up the bathroom wall and <laughs> drawing on your newly painted living room. You know, but yeah, when uh -huh. they start doing that and then, and then they go through puberty and start giving you cheek and then <laughs> they know, every, you know, at 17 by 17, they know everything. They know everything there is to know by 17. So it's amazing. You go through, I know you go through all these different, we don't talk about any of that. We mm -hmm. do not have those conversations about how to deal with that or how to leave them at the gates on the first day of school, crying right. your bloody heart. Right. You know, we, we don't have that. We seem to just get you to getting them to school and then we, we don't talk about it. And then we compete with everybody else in, in the schoolyard. Ridiculous, right? And because, yeah. you know, because their little Timmy is on the varsity, making <laughs> it American. Or they've got piano lessons and, you know, the so-and-so is the quarterback captain and, you know, all these different things, right? And but we don't talk about still a lot that. of pressure. It's yeah. So we, it just builds and it builds and we don't talk. So that would be you know drown out the noise because friends and family will all have opinions and it's great and advice is welcome and it's supported. But we we feel that we have to take the advice from the people closest to us. Otherwise, we might offend them, particularly our own parents. Sure. Yep. Because that it's sometimes hard. seen as well. You well look at you. You're okay. So yeah, I am okay. <laughs> I would like to be a bit better. I want mm -hmm. my child to be a bit better than me. And isn't that what we want for our children? You know, we mm -hmm. want our children to be to achieve more than us. So having that ability to maybe have that conversation is is difficult. But that would be my top tip is to try and sure. drown out the outside noise and just focus on who's in the house. Because who's in the house is all that really matters. And the last tip is you have to find time for each other as a couple. And um, mm -hmm. that probably would be close to number one. But mm -hmm. for today, it's number three. But the, the relationship, the couple that started the journey are still important. Right. And we, for example, I am dra I'm dragging these questions out. I do apologize. But when I left the military, right, I struggled to make the adjustment from soldier to civilian. That loss of identity, that loss of purpose, who I was. I didn't know how I fit in this new world. I found it all very difficult. Mm. That's parenting. Yeah. That is what you go through in parenting. But when I say that I struggled as a soldier, everyone says, yeah, I get it, Scott, that must be really hard. When you compare it as a parent, everybody raises an eyebrow. But that, you do lose your identity for a yeah. little while anyway. Mm -hmm. And you're mm -hmm. trying to figure out this new world, this new norm, what things look like. I hear all the time from new parents, it wasn't like it was before. It's never going to be like it was before. Before is gone. Yeah. Before is finished. Better, this is change and change is hard and it takes time to adjust. It's very, very difficult. But you have to try yeah. and find time for each other. So the, the tip that I normally tie into that is my wife and I, whatever you do, we obviously drink a lot of tea here. And so tea, coffee, wine, whatever. Five, 10, 15, if you can, minutes every evening for each other. And it's just to check in, make sure, because if one of you are working or you're both working, or even if you're both at home, it's just time to check in, whether it was a good day or a bad day, and just reconnect with each other. Because you need to find that time. That can grow. We hear about date nights. Mm -hmm. I've had children for 18 years still waiting for a date night. They don't <laughs> always happen. It's right. very, very difficult. With a big family, yes, I understand that. But with a baby, you can plan all the date nights and somebody's going to be sick. 
<laughs> or, or babysitter's going to let you down. And then you put that pressure on yourself. You start to feel guilty. So you can have a date night at home with mm-hmm. the baby in the bouncer and you can cook a nice meal and put your favorite movie on. You have to find time to keep mm-hmm. that relationship going for the couple that started it. Because when the children grow and go away, it's going to be you again one day. So you mm-hmm. have to maintain that. You can't just become mum and dad. So they're, the, they're my main tips. Sorry, that's oh, long-winded. No, no, I love it, especially with all of the examples and uh, just the, the richness that you bring to your examples is needed because I think a lot of people get stuck on that. Well, that's a nice idea, but how do you do it? You know, even if it's, if you're in the thick of uh, early postpartum, you're not really going to be too creative about how to get this time together. The other together, thing is, sorry, so. sorry mm-hmm. to interrupt you. Sorry, the other, I promise, this will be the last one, then I'll shut up, right? <laughs> no. Trying to find things to do together that you have to do anyway, mm. right? And um, with a baby, it's difficult because always, always someone's watching the baby. And I'm not being rude. This is not sexual. But me and my wife, I'll have a shower together. You have, you have to have it. We have to wash, unfortunately. You know, we have mm. to wash, right? <laughs> so it's just that time. Put the radio on, whatever it is, get in the shower, have a quick wash. Just spend that time. So it's just me and her. Shut the curtain. We can shut the world out for five mm-hmm. minutes. And then we have to cook. You know, yeah, again, we have to feed our children. They have to eat. And what we used to do, and sometimes you, you still have to do this because life is crazy, life is busy. You cooked because you had to feed your family. And we thought, right, we take it in turns. We both like to cook. And I said, look, we have to cook. Let's try and make it that we cook together. You know, even when we had the little one, we put the little one in the basket or the chair and put them in the kitchen so you can keep an eye on them or you've got baby monitors, whatever it is. But let's cook it together. We put Alexa on with the music or your, your pod, whatever it is. We, we put that on. We put our favorite music on. And for however, however long we cook, we don't talk about anything serious. If if something comes up, obviously we'll discuss it. But that's our time to be silly. Yeah. You know, we have a laugh and a joke. We make fun of each other. We have a little dance around the kitchen, whatever it might be. But we have to be in the kitchen at that time to do dinner and do the dishes. So we'll do it together and try and make the most out of it. That's the only, if you keep waiting for these big grand gestures, you can wait years. Right. Because it's really, really difficult. It's finding the small moments. Same with your mental health. It's not looking yeah. to go to the gym for an hour because you might not be able to. It's have a playlist. I have a mood list of music on my phone, right? And, and depending on where I am or if I'm having a particularly bad day with my mental health or I'm just struggling or I'm just stressed, I've mm-hmm. got different music that I listen to. Headphones in, I'll go into a different room from where everybody else is and I'll just one or two songs mm-hmm. or I'll go and stand in the garden or if it's raining, I'll definitely go and stand in the garden. Go for a little walk or have a shower or... Just something to break it up, little short, five, 10 minutes. Just right. when you feel yourself getting overwhelmed and you feel just whatever you're doing, just walk away from it. Even if it's the baby crying, make sure the baby's safe and comfortable. Take a step back. You know, if, if it's getting too much, it's just finding those little small windows just to maintain you and your relationship. Because the big grand gestures, like I said, going out to the movies, going to the cinema, going to the theater, going to the gym in the early days for a baby, that's really difficult. And if you haven't got big groups of friends and family around you, It's even more difficult. If you do have big groups of friends and family around you, take all the help you can. Every bit of help. If they want to cook, let them cook. They want to clean, let them clean. Whatever they want to do. If not, ask them. Delegate. If you've got a baby on the way and you've got friends and family around you. If you're coming to see us, you have to bring something or do something or don't come. And I know (laughs) that sounds really mean. Bring me a pie. Bring me something. Do, Do some laundry. Get me some groceries. Yeah. Come and wash the dishes or come and do whatever it is. But you're not just going to come and I'm going to serve you tea and cake when mm-hmm. I've got a newborn baby. You know, mm-hmm. you're coming to help or you don't come. I love it. Yeah, uh, yeah I know so many people who uh, will agree with that. 
And these are just such valuable little tips and tricks, but they have a huge impact. I really appreciate you sharing them with us. I'm hopeful that uh, you know, all of the people out there who are listening to this can listen, absorb this, and then share it with a couple of other people to really get this out and hear that it, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes it is, is all, if that's all you've got, then that's, that's what you can get. And to really prioritize all, all of the, everything you said today was just fantastic. I so appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I um, feel like we could talk forever about all of the things that your experience and all of the things that you can offer. And I, I just want to just for a minute, have you tell people a little bit about what you're doing, where you are, and if they want to be involved, how they can be involved. Okay, yeah, that's fine. So yeah, so I am based in the middle of England. I set up my Instagram page, which is called PMH Support, which is paternal mental health. And it was set up tips and advice on mental health in, in men and fathers, a little bit of parenting advice. I now work with organizations and charities around the UK delivering that sort of information. But most of what I do is messages from particularly fathers that are struggling, or it'll be the wife that will contact me and say she's seen my post about postnatal depression in partners or whatever it might be. And she's worried about her partner, any tips or advice, and then getting him to then come and speak to me and sort of trying to say and post him or find support. So most of what I do is offering support to particularly fathers, but anybody with mental health, you know, anybody that's struggling can message me on, on Instagram and I'll help them in any way that I can. Thank you so much for what you're doing, the work that you're doing and the, the passion uh, and drive that you clearly have for this. We need you and I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you very it, much. And same to you. Exact uh, same to you. Thank you so much. Okay. Just before we wrap up, Scott, is there anything else that you'd like to, to put in before we wrap up? No, I think that was perfect. Thank you again, Scott, for being with us. Uh, For all of you who are listening, go find him on Instagram at PMH support and join in in any way that you can to help spread the word about all of the, the work that he's doing, but all of the ways that we can continue to support fathers and mental health. Uh, Thank you, Scott, for being with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.